Brothers and sisters, I would ask that you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to our text which comes from the Gospel of Mark as we continue to progress in our study in this Gospel. Today we will be looking at Mark chapter 12 and verses 18 to 27. Mark chapter 12, verses 18 to 27. Mark chapter 12 and verses 18 to 27. Hear with me then the reading of God's Word. And Sadducees came to Him who say there is no resurrection. And they asked Him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up his offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are quite wrong. Thus far as a reading of God's Word. Well, brothers and sisters, today the, the parade of opponents continues to extend further as now the, the Sadducees approach Jesus and try their hand in discrediting and disgracing Him before the people as they attempt to expose Jesus to be a charlatan. And they try to expose Him to be this charlatan by asking this extremely hypothetical question which borders on absurdity, really, which has to do with the, the doctrine of the resurrection, a doctrine that the, that the Sadducees themselves reject. And perhaps... It's for this reason, because they reject the doctrine, that the the question they ask is so obnoxious and ridiculous. But in asking the question, do they not show us their hand? They show us that this is not a question that the Sadducees have been struggling with. This is not a question that they've been wrestling with. And they, they come and they seek out Jesus that He might ease their unsettled consciences. Rather, they come asking a question, not even believing the existence or the reality of the thing that they ask. Right from the outset, their intentions are are manifest to Jesus and all the people that are around them. Now, many of us here may have dealt with similar situations. We may have dealt with antagonistic questions from people who are willfully ignorant. People who don't believe in 
the doctrine of hell or the doctrine of doctrines of grace or the doctrine of God. But they, they come up to you and they ask you a question. They usually try to do it around people. Or nowadays they ask you a question online so that all people might be able to see it. Hundreds of people. And they ask it not because they care at all about the answer, but rather it's because they stand in judgment over God's Word. They stand in judgment over God. And they want to make you look foolish by asking some question that they think is brilliant. Yet all the while not realizing the question they ask is something that you yourself don't even affirm. Which demonstrates that they have taken no time to understand the Christian religion. And this is exactly what we see in our text today. The, the Sadducees ask what to them is a, a very intelligent and astute question. They believe that this is a, a riddle that cannot be solved by Jesus. They thought this was the question that was going to undermine His entire ministry by demonstrating the utter irrationality of the doctrine of the resurrection. But they did not understand that the question they asked was not one that Jesus even held to. But we have to ask though, why are they doing this? Why are the Sadducees doing this? What, what interest do they have in their fight with Christ? Well, in order to understand, we have to understand a little bit about the, the Sadducees and who they are. Now, what we know about the Sadducees, much of it comes from the Scriptures. We don't have any writings from Sadducees themselves which positively give us what their doctrine is. And so, we learn much of it from the Scriptures. And so, we're told immediately in verse 18, as soon as we're introduced to the Sadducees, that what? They say there's no resurrection. In Acts chapter 5, verse 17, and really throughout the books of, book of Acts, you'll, you'll find the Sadducees there. But in Acts chapter 5, verse 17, we're told that the high priests come from the party of the Sadducees. As the Sadducees are both a religious as well as a political group. They're in fact one of the three major religious groups in Judaism, along with the Pharisees and the Essenes. And then we see in Acts chapter 23, as Paul is brought before the council, made up of both Pharisee and Sadducee, when Paul sees the Pharisees there, he, he pleads with them because he's on trial. And he says, brothers, I, I plead with you, kinsmen, I plead with you, for, for I'm on trial for for professing the resurrection of the dead, that which you yourselves believe in. And we're told there in Acts 23 that as soon as Jesus says that, dissension breaks in the ranks between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because we're told right there that the, the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. That the Sadducees likewise don't believe in the angels. And that the Sadducees do not believe in spirits as well. But we're told the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And although they're different, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, in many ways, their reason for, for wanting to destroy Jesus is really one and the same. They, they are of the political and religious elite in, in Israel, and so they do not want Jesus to come along and interrupt that and disrupt that. And so they want to, to do away with Jesus. And so this is the reason why the Sadducees will not stand by any longer on the sidelines. After they see the last week the Pharisees and the Herodians strike out miserably in trying to trap Jesus. And so now they say, let us try our hands. Let us, let us approach Jesus now and ask Him so that we might trip Him up in His own ministry and we might discredit and disgrace Him. And it's this encounter today then, brothers and sisters, 
that we want to look at more closely together. And we want to see where the ignorance of the Sadducees lie and where truth stands with respect to the doctrine of the resurrection. And we will look to do this then under three main points this morning. And the three points are this. First, ignorance of God's Word. Ignorance of God's Word. Point two, ignorance of God's power. Ignorance of God's power. And third, ignorance of God's rule. Ignorance of God's rule. So point one, ignorance of God's Word. Look with me once more, please, at verse 24. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. Now, the Sadducees' question arises out of a belief that stems or is grounded in their own belief system, which is founded in the Pentateuch. The Sadducees took their theology from the first five books of the Bible. And so their view of marriage and the resurrection, which is addressed today, comes from those first five books or what they believe them to say. Now, the marriage practice that they describe here in our text, where if a brother dies, the next brother is to marry, if there is no child, this is what is called leveret marriage. It's called leveret marriage. And this is actually not something that they just made up on the spot to test Jesus. This is, this is a real thing. We actually find this in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 5 to 6. It is there we are told this. If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of the dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And so what we see what they are doing in this question is they are taking leveret marriage and they are pushing this example to the extreme in order that they might confound Jesus and demonstrate to the people how nonsensical the doctrine of the resurrection is. And so they, they weave this story together. Jesus, please tell us, if the man dies who married this woman and they do not have a child, and his brother does, and, and, and seven of them in total do this, and, and none of them have a child, and then eventually the woman dies, when they are raised, when they are raised bodily as you say it will occur, tell us then, wise master, whose wife will, th- will she be? Right there. They're trying to to bring out the absurdity of the doctrine of the resurrection in their question. But what is Jesus' response to them? What's Jesus' response? It's, you don't know the Scriptures. Brothers and sisters, so much error is grounded in ignorance. Error is grounded in ignorance. The the Sadducees are, are ignorant of the Scriptures because they denied portions of the Word of God. Right? They, they denied it, and so they, they cut themselves off from much of God's truth. For had they have received the full body of God's teaching, they would have known what David said in Psalm 16. That great messianic hymn in verses 9 and 10 where he says, Therefore my heart will be glad, 
and my whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Had they received all of God's teaching, all of God's Word, they would have believed the prophet Daniel who speaks of the second advent of Christ in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And he says this, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So we see the, the doctrine of the resurrection is definitely and clearly taught in the Old Testament Scriptures, but the Sadducees were ignorant of it because they, they cut themselves off from the entirety of God's Word. But their problem is not only that they were ignorant of the truth of God's Word, because they failed to to receive God's full corpus, but they were also ignorant of God's Word, because they did not even know or understand that which they said they believed. This is what Jesus is going to draw later, when He says, Have you not read in Moses? Of course they read. What He's saying is, You don't understand what Moses is saying. You have no idea what it meant. And so I want you to see, brothers and sisters, that the the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians, unbelievers living today, the problem is, is, is not that they don't have the Word of God. It's not that they don't have access or they can't read it, but rather they refuse to recognize the fullness of God's revelation. They refuse to submit themselves to God's Word. And I want us to see that that problem fundamentally is not an intellectual one, but rather that problem is a moral one. The problem is a moral one. The human condition post-fall is one that is spiritually destitute of any good. This is why Paul can say in Romans chapter 3, there is none who are righteous. Not one. No one does good. Not even one. Humanity, brothers and sisters, goes from being very good in creation to just in a short period of time a species whose every intention of the thoughts of their heart is only evil continually. Darkness now fills the human mind and the human heart as they are led along by the spirit of darkness. And so they don't want God's Word to rule over them. It's not that they don't know it, they don't want it. They don't want God's Word. This is the problem of so many today who fill the pews. They engage in spiritual activities, but so did the Sadducees. The Sadducees were engaged in the spiritual life of Israel. And yet, what do we see of them? Inside, their their soul was bare of God's good gift and was rotten to its core. False believers, brothers and sisters, have no desire to submit to the whole counsel of God's Word. They don't like doctrine that convicts them of sin. And so what do they try to do? Distort it, twist it, deny it. So that they can continue to to, to claim to be uh, believers in Christ and yet all the while live like sons and daughters of the devil. The Sadducees deny the doctrine of the resurrection. But I ask you here today, how many other doctrines are being denied today by people who profess to be believers? How about... The doctrine of the church. Right? Over this, this last year, year and a half especially, people think that you can do church virtually now, over the computer, through a lens. 
How about the biblical view of human sexuality? How about the doctrine of the atonement? The doctrine of, of hell? Right? In every generation you have people who are claiming Christ as their own and yet tearing His Word asunder. Believing that they are more wise than God. And that they have the ability to choose what is Scripture and what is not based on their own private interpretation and judgment. But I ask, who leads them into that interpretation? Who leads them into that judgment? Certainly it is not the Holy Spirit. Rather, brothers and sisters, I am I'm afraid that those who are led into false doctrine and error are being led by the devil who transforms himself into an angel of light. As the Spirit was not given to the church to teach us new doctrine, to bring to us new revelation, to, to teach us a new form of morality, but rather the Holy Spirit was sent to seal to our minds and to implant in our hearts no other truth than that which is contained in God's Word. Brothers and sisters, you can be religious but dead inside and ignorant of God's Word. And you can know that you are dead inside and devoid of the Spirit of God and ignorant of His Word if you can profess Christ and yet live in disobedience to His Word. If you can profess Christ yet not understand His Word. If you can profess Christ yet have no desire to sit under the preached Word or be with the saints. If you profess Christ and you don't want to come and worship your glorious King. If you profess Christ that you dismiss doctrines that make you feel uncomfortable. If you confess Christ but you find yourself believing in all these new ideas that the church has always rejected. But yet the opposite is true though, brothers and sisters. The opposite is true for the one who believes and who has been graciously given the Holy Spirit and who has passed from death to life. You can know that you have the Spirit of God because you want to come and worship King Jesus with the angels and the saints. Because you desire to obey God's Word. Because we want to hear God's Word and we're willing to receive every single word of it. We're ready to receive every doctrine by faith, no matter how uncomfortable it may make us feel. That we want to retrieve and believe that which the church has always confessed. Not find anything new. We're not trying to be innovative. The Sadducees showed that they had not the Spirit living inside of them because they denied the doctrine of of the resurrection, a, a doctrine that is necessary to be a saint. And now post fall, or excuse me, post resurrection, don't we see even more clearly how absolutely necessary the doctrine of the resurrection is? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ remains in the grave. And then we are all left in misery and without any hope. But God did not create you and I, brothers and sisters. He did not create men and women after His image in order to extinguish us after our earthly life. Rather, He created us to have eternal fellowship with Him. But that can only come about first through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A resurrection that even after Christ rises from the dead, the Sadducees will deny. And they deny because they are ignorant of God's Word. And so we see today, a part of their problem in asking this question is that they are ignorant of God's Word, cutting themselves off from part of it. But they are also ignorant of God's Word, unable to understand it, 
because they do not have the Holy Spirit. But Jesus not only indicts them over their lack of knowledge, but He also indicts them over their denial of the omnipotence of God. And this takes us to our second point this morning, which is ignorance of God's power. Jesus in verse 24 said what? Is this not the reason you're wrong? You know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. The Sadducees, believing in the writing of Moses, knew that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob created everything. And yet they failed to believe that by that same power, He could bring us to resurrection life. And in that resurrection life, that He could transform our lowly bodies into imperishable, undefiled, and incorruptible bodies. Because had they truly known the Almighty, they would have not posed this question. They would have not have thought that the doctrine of the resurrection was an absurd doctrine. But their ignorance is once again on display. For not only do they deny the, the power of God, but their ignorance is on display by the very premise of their question as well. For it is a, a faulty premise. They believe that the doctrine of the resurrection says that when we die and our bodies are raised from the dead, in heaven it will be exactly the same as it is on earth today. This is why they thought their question was so good. This is why they thought they were so smart. They thought each of the seven husbands in the story, when they are resurrected bodily, are all going to have equal right to this wife. And so, whose wife will she be? It's a riddle that cannot be solved. How can Jesus say this man or or this man and not that man or that man? It would be wrong to say that. And so they, they think they have confounded Jesus. But had they understood what the doctrine of the resurrection teaches, they wouldn't have posed such a silly question. Right? But they show their ignorance. And Jesus here then uses it as an opportunity to to supply them with truth. And what is that truth? This is what we read in verse 25. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now it's important to see here, brothers and sisters, that Jesus says we are not made to be angels, but we will be made like angels. And he says that in the context of the question. Right? He says that in the context of the question, which means, just as the angels didn't need marriage, nor were given in marriage, neither will you and I. Now, there are many doctrines or teachings in the Scripture that are hard. Right? Some that are hard to understand, and others that are hard to swallow. And I think this is one of those that's hard to swallow for a lot of Christians. You you are with your spouse for 30, 40, 50, 60 plus years. In the most intimate of ways. You know each other inside and out. You've gone through the pains and agonies, through joy and happiness, children, grandchildren. And one day, one day it all ends. So I think it's natural, right? It's, it's natural to be, to be saddened by that. 
And yet Jesus tells us, once life ends in heaven, we will still know each other. We will still recognize each other. But that marriage relationship between husband and wife will be different. And although that initially can, can pierce the heart a little bit, although it can sadden us, I want to offer to you, brothers and sisters, that in fact we, we ought not to be saddened by this. And in fact, we ought to look forward to and long for the day in which we are made like the angels. Let me give you the reason for that. You should not be saddened by the fact that we will not be given in marriage to one another in heaven. For when we are raised bodily, our marriage to Christ, whom we love most, and who loves us with a love that is incomparable, takes place. That is when our marriage to Christ takes place. And those who gain Christ as husband lose nothing. We're told in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory. For the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Brothers and sisters, today and throughout our earthly existence, we are, we are being prepared for that day when Christ is going to be accompanied by the angels and that we will be received up to Him. For He has paid the, the dowry price for His bride, which was the blood of Christ. And so He is going to come to receive His bride, to receive His bride who is the church. And if this is what we gain, how can we be sad by what it is we lose? The very thing we gain is the very thing we were created for. Eternal happiness and felicity with our Redeemer Jesus Christ forever. And just as it is is with the angels, when Christ returns to receive His church, neither will we die again. All suffering and infirmity, likewise, we will be freed from. Likewise, we will be freed like the angels from all distractions. And if you're a husband and wife here, you know that marriage can be a distraction sometimes. And so we're going to be freed from every distraction so that like the angels, we might devote ourselves eternally to worship our God and the Lamb who was slain for you and I by singing and praising and blessing and honoring His name with the myriads and myriads of angels and saints. And how does God accomplish this? How does He accomplish this? By His power. By His power. The power that the Sadducees denied, but the power that the Apostle Paul declares. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 52, Paul says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we should all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will rise imperishable and we shall be changed. Yet I want us to see that the Sadducees are not only ignorant of God's power to raise us up bodily and to make us unto like the angels, but they are also ignorant of the fact that, that 
that God's power likewise can vanquish death and grant eternal life. Right? They, they affirmed God's ability to create, but they have denied God's ability to redeem. Right? Which Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is no resurrection, if there is no victory over death, then death still reigns. But this is why we have seen throughout the Gospel as Jesus is is leading the apostles to Jerusalem. On three occasions, what does He tell them? I'm going to die. But each time He ends with, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Right? He, is, he is teaching them. He is preparing them. Telling them, I am going to vanquish death. I am going to conquer death. And the good news of the Gospel for all saints, past, present, and future, is that He has. Right? Christ has conquered death. For the apostles bear witness of that reality as they went out and proclaimed that which they had seen. And that is what, brothers and sisters, we now believe by faith. As Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so let us look to God's power. Believing in it. Not denying it like the Sadducees. But trusting that God by His power is able to grant us new life and raise us to everlasting life. Knowing that God's power is incomparable. For when God acts, no man can fight against it. When God acts, no one can prevail against Him. When God acts, He conquers over all. And so, brothers and sisters, we ought to to confess with Job. In Job 42, verse 2, when he says, I know that you can do everything. We ought to confess that with Job. We know that God is able to do everything. And God does it effortlessly. God does it with ease. The most difficult of tasks, creation, He he brings into existence by the simple word of His mouth. And by that same power, brothers and sisters, He will raise us up bodily on that last day. And we can know for sure that He will do so. For who can stay His hand? There is none. No one. This leads us then into our third and final point this morning, which is ignorance of God's rule. In response to the Sadducees' belief that we are that we are extinguished at death, Jesus cites the Pentateuch to demonstrate the folly of their own claim that there is no resurrection. Look with me, please, at verse starting at verse twenty six. And as for the dead being raised, Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Jesus points them to God's encounter with Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6. Because this is what they claim to believe. They claim to believe in the Pentateuch. So he he points them to the Pentateuch to demonstrate how wrong they are. And so Jesus points out how God spoke to Moses saying, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. 
Yet, brothers and sisters, today I ask you, how can that be, though? How could it be? Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were dead. And yet he says, I am the God. He doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Jesus is pointing out that He can say, I am their God. Because although they have died and their bodies are in the grave, their spirits are immortal and are with Christ and they are awaiting the day in which Christ will raise their bodies from the grave and soul and body will reunite once again in a glorified manner, never to be separated again. And the patriarchs, they understood this to a degree. The patriarchs understood this in a lot of ways. right? They're a lot wiser than many Christians today. They knew that God is a living God. And as a living God, He does not rule over dead men and women. But He rules over the living. This is what Abraham understood. We're told this in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Listen to this though. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did raise him back. What an incredible faith Abraham had. On the other side of the cross, not having all that we have. And yet I ask you here today, where do we find faith such as Abraham's? Abraham believed the promise and acted upon it. We say we believe God's covenant promises to us, and yet how many live as if they don't? Jesus now not only though wants to show them from their own scriptures how God identifies Himself as the God who rules over the living and not the dead, to demonstrate how their own scriptures teach the resurrection, but He also wants to show them one more thing. He wants to show them one more thing. And that is found in this formula. That I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. This formula that Jesus gives to us presents God as a God who is a covenant God. And as a covenant God and a covenant keeping God and a covenant faithful God, to breach His covenant promises would be to break the covenant which God cannot do. And so we can be assured that He is going to raise these saints bodily as He has promised them in God's covenant. Right? God made covenant with man, not just for our earthly lives, right? but He has covenanted with us likewise, assuring us in that covenant that one day we will be raised bodily to be with Him in everlasting life. The resurrection of our bodies is what Christ came to redeem. And He fulfilled the law. And in fulfilling the law, He received those whom God had eternally chosen. And He has given them to the Son. Whom What does the Son say about them? He says, I will raise them all up on the last day and lose none of them. That is God's promise to us of the resurrection from the dead. But life everlasting, brothers and sisters... And being members of this eternal covenant only comes through faith in Christ. Humanity will find resurrection life in no other way. 
As Jesus Himself says this, in John chapter 11, He says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. And then, brothers and sisters, I want you to see this. He asks her, do you believe this? This is the question for each and every one of you here today. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ? Which the Scriptures testify to. Is Christ your hope? Do you believe that you will one day be raised bodily and dwell with Christ eternally? Which the God who never lies has promised to us in His Gospel. If the answer is yes, then I say, brothers and sisters, then live as if life with Christ eternally is the goal. Don't live as if this world is all that there is. So many do, don't they? We are pulled apart by all the different things going on in our life. Right? Spending this much time and everything else and this much time with God. When He tells us to be doing what? Not storing up treasures here on earth, but be storing up treasures in heaven. Right? Well, they do not fade away. And now, brothers and sisters, I want us to see that now is a time of preparation. Now is a time of preparation. Today, on the, the Lord's Day, is a day in which God is preparing us, and fitting us, equipping us to be with Him in heaven. I want you to see this, how glorious it is that as we come and as we are worshiping here today, we get to pull back the curtain a little bit. We get to pull back the veil of heaven and get to see what it's like to be as like the angels as we worship God throughout the entirety of this day. Brothers and sisters, we often live to serve ourselves. But what I want us to see is that the angels live to serve God. And so should we. So should we. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truth of Your Word. We thank You that we can stand firmly upon those eternal words and can trust and believe. We pray, Father, that You would help us, that You would grant to us greater belief in Your Word, even those parts of Your Word which are uncomfortable and and hard to receive. That You would help us not only to receive them, but receive them with joy and with gladness. And help us, Lord, to long and anticipate the day in which we will receive, be received by Christ in the air. We ask, Lord, that You, by Your Spirit, would help us to apply the truths of the Word that we have heard today, and that we may execute them in our life throughout the week. And we ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.